And I'm driving down there, I cross the river, and I'm just driving along, bouncing along in the dark, just jamming my Jimi Hendrix. And Jason Nez, a Navajo archaeologist, is telling a story. I sit in the dark under a clouded, windy sky in northern Arizona as he describes the strange events of a night not so different from this one. And like every good storyteller, he begins with a hook, a compelling statement that draws the listener in and makes them curious to hear what comes next. And way at the edge of my headlights, I saw something moving. Mary O'Brien, an ecologist, tells me another story. I have asked her why she is so passionate about conservation work, and she begins by describing the drive she would take every day when she was in grad school. And I often saw a roadrunner at a particular place in an orange grove. This is in Southern California. Terry Schramm is a rancher from Pennsylvania who moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming to raise his cattle. So I think that as much as the community said, oh yeah, we, we want ranching. You know, I remember going to the Jackson Hole Alliance one time when I was in the fighting with the grizzly bears on Togety Pass. The beginning, as they say, is a very good place to start. But every story needs some details that further describe people, places, and events. There was something up ahead of me that was running really weird. It had a pink back, and it was covered with little blonde hairs. And I was like, that's a pig. And as I'm looking at it, it stood up on two legs. And then I saw it had human feet. It pulled back the skin. It was wearing a pig skin and it pulled it back like a blanket. And then one day I drove by and all the trees were cut down. And I knew I would never see another roadrunner there. And within a week, they were building a development of houses. And that particular day, I kind of hit bottom. But that's no fun to be at the bottom. And I said, do you support ranching in Jackson Hole? And they said, yes, we do. And I said, would you write a letter to the Fish and Wildlife Service and tell them to do something about the grizzly bears that are killing my cattle every night? In the conclusion, Conflict is resolved or intentionally left hanging, and each storyteller ends with a phrase that sticks with the listener and evokes some emotion, be it hope, sympathy, amusement, or sadness. So I really felt bad for a couple days, and then I thought, okay, if this world is going to be reduced to dandelions and house cats, I'm going to defend dandelions. Oh, no, we can't do that. And I go, well, why not? She says, well, we support ranching, but we would prefer to do it without the cows. And it turned around and looked at me, and it was this naked white guy. And he had red paint on his face, but the rest of him was just naked. And I was like, what the f*** is this? this is like <laughs> Across the interior American West, change is a constant, and with change comes broken hearts. There is no data that can reflect this kind of shift, nor any scientific study that will tell a stranger about the causes and effects of this kind of pain. In Mary's case, her broken heart was a place to push off from, and she continues to work tirelessly to, as she puts it, defend the dandelions across the American Southwest. I just got to the point where I just thought, to hell with people, I'm gonna go into botany. Terry Schramm takes a slightly different approach. I, wouldn't, I would never give it up, but it did. It did break my heart and I finally had to quit. I'm gonna retire and, and get out of this crap and just let this place go to hell. And, or, or, I'll, or I'll stick around and try to ruin it for the people who ruined it for me. One or the other. 
And speaking of scary stories... I'm not a believer in global warming. I'm not a believer in man-made global warming. It could be warming and it's... You know, Obama said the biggest problem we have is global warming. And I keep hearing about global warming. Now they'll say, he doesn't understand. Speaking of global warming, we need some global warming. This is the power of storytelling. Whether it is factually accurate, embellished, biased, or blatantly untrue, a story unlocks the potential for sympathy in the listener. Donald Trump built his campaign on a foundation of lies, exaggerations, and half-truths. In a post-factual age, scientific research has less sway than a story that resonates. Donald Trump appealed to fear and promised an America that many felt they had lost. How can environmentalists appeal to the same emotional power that Trump accessed while staying grounded in scientific truth? A report entitled, Let's Talk Climate Change, Messages to Motivate Americans, may have the answer. It was released by EcoAmerica in 2015, and it aims to employ qualitative and quantitative research methods to test specific words, phrases, and narratives that link climate change to mainstream American values and concerns. The report recommends that when talking about climate change, one should evoke lived experiences, use visual language. People understand and relate most to learning from what they have seen with their own eyes. When messages evoke real lived experience and employ visual language, voters can see themselves in the message and express higher resonance. Avoid labeling and jargon, and instead empower the audience to envision stories of their own daily lives. Stories weave together our politics and our personal lives. But where do we draw the line between storytelling and propaganda? In a time when climate change is an increasingly urgent problem, we must tell stories that are grounded in truth but retain the power to persuade. So on these nights, this wind gets into your ears, it gets into your dreams. Maybe the wind will go away. So if you hear someone shooting wildly into the dark down there, that'll be For National Public Lands Radio, I'm Kenzie Spooner.